Our reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. pray. Heavenly Father, we see this glorious, beautiful snow around us, and we are in awe of your creation, and we are in awe that through the work of your Son, you will make us whiter than snow. God, we pray that you would purge our hearts from sin, and so, so easily entangles us, God. We see that in our text. I pray that we would have our eyes fixed upon you. That we would long for you, God. That you would bring us to grow. Amen. As you look around, you might not know it, but in this very city, we once had a heat wave. (laughs) Last summer, we had a heat wave, and it was about a 105 degree uh, index. And I thought, what a great time to, to go for a run, to, to not uh, succumb, you know, to, to nature and all of, its, all of its whims. And so in my pride and in my folly, I, I go out, I strap on my shoes, and I go out on Douglas Trail and start running. Seven and a half miles out, seven and a half miles back. Not too bad, right? Stop in the town of Douglas, get some water. It was, it was ugly. It was desperately ugly. But you get out there and you go, I can do it, I can do it. But you realize every step you take out there is a step you have to take back. And so you get out there all the way and you're done. Now it's time to turn around and come back to town. And coming back, I I only wanted two things. Honest to goodness, I wanted so desperately bad, and I knew this is when things were not going well, I wanted to sleep right there on the trail. And I, I had like slowed down and contemplated and thought about it. I went, no, this is just this is not a good idea. You you're not going to wake up in the trail. You're going to wake up in the ER or somewhere else. And this is not what you need right now. So do not sleep. Keep going on. Do not sleep. And I wanted that. And obviously, I wanted water, something to drink. I was longing for these two things. And I finally make it back to the car, and then I realize. I didn't really bring a lot of water. And so then I make my drive home. It's kind of half delirious, but we make it home, come inside. I tell Rachel all that had happened, and she was not impressed with my (laughs) most recent antics, and she kind of gave the whatever. So thankfully, Jackie was there, and she had some pity on my stupidity, and she got me some, uh, just a glass of orange juice and some oranges, 
and it was delicious. It was the most amazing thing I've had ever. It was orange juice at that time. It was what I was longing for, and it satisfied me. Same thing we see in our text here. Peter is trying to bring us to a place where we will long for Christ. And that's, that's all we want. Nothing else will satisfy, but when we have Christ. So you, you, we get to our main idea of the text here. Peter is, is again, long, long for it. Not just think about it as you might do, not just enjoy the fact that other people might do it, but no, you yourselves long, long for this spiritual milk. Working through the text, you see in verse 1, uh, we pour out the evil. Put away, put aside all of this, all of this stuff. We'll look at that. Drink up the good, pour out the evil, drink up the good, and grow, and grow in Christ. So let's have a brief recap here, because as you know, when Peter is writing this, the letters just can be presented and then read. Um, read to the churches as, as they're assembling. So you see, in this first part, the, Peter is reading to the, to the elect that are scattered. And he's calling them to rejoice. And to rejoice in the midst of their sufferings. To, to not just look at the present, but to look back at what Christ had done. Not rejoice that things might get better, but rejoice that the work of Christ is finished. It cannot be undone, but it is finished. And it's as Adam is preaching, it's this very work of Christ that the prophets longed to understand. They longed and they dreamed of understanding. And we have this privileged position now, you do, of looking back and seeing this work of Christ. So then what do we do? Well, we have lives that are focused then on, on this future grace that will come at the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we live lives now in the present that are, when the new heavens and new earth will come and invade this time, that's how we live now. And so as Adam was teaching us then, last week, we love. That's how we do it. We love. And then Peter fleshes that out a little bit in this text saying, how do we do that? How do we do that? Number one, we put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And you'll notice what these five things, how they're all relational. He's addressing this to the church. This is being read by the church. And this is, it's a plural. These, these are addressed to all of them and these are relational things. So, You have in a church a a group of people that are moved together by the Spirit and bonded together in in a covenant of membership. And these types of sins, they cannot be tolerated. They they can't. That you're going to be in in fellowship with your brother and have malice towards him? Put it away. You would actually desire to injure your brother or sister in the faith. Or or second little little couplet here, this deceit, hypocrisy, and envy. These wanting or being something else than what you, you truly are. 
And so you you have deceit or you set a snare is what it, what it is. And you're luring someone in. Or you're uh, a hypocrite, which is, the word comes from play actor. You're dressed up. You're presenting yourself as someone else than you truly are and you know it. It's not that you're trying to be better. You're presenting someone that is not you and deep down you know it. Put it away. Or this envy. This is the very thing, as you're reading through the Gospels, uh, Pontius Pilate picks up on this. This is the very thing that drove the religious elites to hand over Christ. Pilate in Mark 15, Pilate knows that it was, quote, out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up to be crucified. And all of this, and, and slander as well, put it away, not just a little bit. He says, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, not just a little bit, not just, hey guys, take, take baby steps, baby steps. No, put it away. Put it all away. Put away this slander. Literally, to, to, to evil speak, to, to speak evil of someone. When's the last time in your own home, maybe just with your husband or wife or with your roommate, you spoke ill of someone else at the church? This cripples a church. It just pollutes the air. And so when the people are together, you, you can hardly see because there's a little bit of gossip, a little bit of envy, a little bit of slander, a little bit of hypocrisy going on. And it's, it pollutes the air. And so you can hardly see this brother or sister whom you're in fellowship, whom you've covenanted with to love them. But you can hardly see them because of all of this going on. And it happens in the shadows. That's why it's so dangerous. It happens in the shadows. So how do you really address it? How do you how do you come after it? Well, it's it's hard. So we need a body who's committed together from their own hearts who are going to put away all of this stuff. If you have false teaching coming from Sunday school or from the pulpit, you it's evident and you can address that. If someone is gossiping with their spouse, how do you address that? You need the Spirit to move in them. And so what happens, you have the sheep gathered together, and just one sheep by the other infects them. And then this disease spreads, this envy spreads, this hypocrisy spreads, this deceit and the malice and the slander, it all spreads just one by one by one, by one, and before you know it, you step back and you have a whole church, a whole flock that's infected, and you have a plague on your own, on your hands. And what does God do? He takes it out and he shoots it in the head. You've seen stars implode. You've seen churches fail. This is why. Churches don't fail because of lack of finances. Churches don't fail because of lack of zeal. Churches don't fail here because we don't have the Word of God in our language. This is why churches fail. 
put it away. And that joyous note, moving forward. We know that the world is watching us. We don't realize what's happening here, friends. God has made His, the manifold wisdom of God to this mystery to unite all things in Christ in heaven and on earth and under the earth, being united in Christ. God is revealing that how? Through you guys. Through the church. And we cripple ourselves with these petty little sins. And the world, again, the world is watching. It's our greatest testimony to the world. Is our love. Because our love for each other is the greatest testimony to the world. And I think you guys are coming down harsh. I think you're actually really, really good at this. Uh, Tertullian, uh, 3rd century. Um, a church father, he wrote a book called The Apology, not like saying I'm sorry for the Christian faith, but a defense of, of the Christian faith. Uh, in chapter 39, he writes, uh, all of these things, of what the church does, okay, they... They, they have a positive good. Uh, these people are knit together. They have a, a unity of, of discipline. They have a common hope. And they, they assemble and they, and they pray to God. That's what the church does. And then it goes on. But it is mainly, Tertullian writes, the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. How does, how does the world view us? This is how they viewed Christians years and years and years ago. They put a brand on us. See, they say, how they love one another. So love, so great, so love for each other that the world, that's how they understood. They, they kind of derided them a little bit because they knew they couldn't have it. But this is our greatest testimony to the world. And this is how we display it is by loving one another. By this the world will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. So, here's your application point. Easy enough. Never. Never speak ill of anyone in this church. Never listen to it. Don't put up with it. And if, if it must be said, put on your big boy pants. Go talk to them. Maybe they need to hear it. That person over there, they don't need to hear it. Maybe they do. Go talk to them. But never, from this moment on, in this church, we will never speak ill of anybody. If they are good enough for God, if Christ is pleased with them, you better humble yourself. You have nothing good to say about yourself when you're gossiping about God's bride. All right, that's enough. It's actually not even the main point of the text here, so we'll, we'll move on to this, this main point. It's, it's Peter saying, okay, put all of that aside. And what do you do? What's the main thrust here of Peter? He's saying, like newborn infants, long, long for the pure Spiritual milk. 
this is how they are to love one another. Put, put that aside. Okay, okay, okay. That's, that's fine. Do that. Make sure you do that. Long for this spiritual milk, this pure spiritual milk. Step back and think about this. The world is going to tell us, look at your oppressors. They are the ones who are the origins of all of our problems. They are the ones that are oppressing you. And Peter is calling them to, in the midst of this, as a church, when everything is trembling around, down, around them, love one another. Really? Peter, that's what you have for me? No, no, we're being persecuted. Don't, don't you realize that, Peter? My neighbor, whose chil- our children grew up together, he just burned down my house because I refused to make worship with his false god. And you're telling me to put away envy, slander, malice, deceit, put it all away and then just long for spiritual milk? Really? You see, what Peter is far more concerned about their holiness than their present circumstances. As God is far more concerned about your holiness than your present circumstances right now. So how do they how do they do this? How do they sustain when the world is crumbling down around them and forcing themselves into the church? It's the only way they can survive, my friends. It's this mutual love, putting out the evil, putting it all out. Because that's the death. That's the old man coming in. That's the world they have left. So they put it out and then you have this pure, beautiful church that it can endure anything. Oh, your house burns down. Well, good. Come live with me. You have much less to worry about. And they were. But you don't have... You, the church can't do that when, they're, when there's a fog amongst them of malice and deceit and hypocrisy. But they are too long for this, this milk, this spiritual milk, and that's Christ, and it's through the Word that they are doing this. And so you just want this milk, this pure milk. None of this fancy stuff. Nothing else will satisfy but Christ and Christ alone. You, you, and you want it pure. Remember that, brothers and sisters, every day, you are rehearsing Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You are walking through the garden. And Peter is going, no, no, here's the tree of life. There it is. They long for this pure spiritual milk. Drink of this. Don't be satisfied with anything else. Hold the tree of knowledge of good and evil. No, 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 no. Don't do it. Don't be satisfied with the world. Don't fall prey to this gossip and slander. That might feel fun for a moment. Don't do it. No, long for this pure spiritual milk of Christ. We have before us this same decision every day. Will you long for this? Will you eat of this tree of life? Will you be fully satisfied in that? Or you're gonna you're gonna have maybe a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world and a little bit of lust, a little bit of money, a little bit of security and a retirement. 
Is it just one amongst all the others? Or are you, are you pushing everything aside so you can have Jesus, just as pure Jesus? 100% pure. Push it all aside so that you might focus on Christ. And what do you think God is doing through their persecution? That's what He's doing for them. He's bringing them to this place of going, what are you going to choose? Is Christ enough? Or is He not? And you, in the midst of your sufferings and your trials, you are presented with this same thing. Are you going to long for the pure spiritual milk? Are you going to eat of the tree of life? Or are you going to be satisfied with something else? Are you going to want to be like God rather than communing with God? That's what you have before you. Drink of this pure nectar of God. This, this same illustration is used um, <clears throat> elsewhere in the New Testament of regarding this, this milk and, and relating it to maturity. Uh, Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 1, Brothers, um, I, I do not address you as, as spiritual uh, people. I could as people in the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's not complimenting them. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready with it. And even now, you are not ready, for you are still in the flesh. That's Paul, and then you have the author of Hebrews writing, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, teaching, you need someone to teach yourselves. Teach you again the basic principles about the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world, in the word of unrighteousness since he is a child. But food, solid food, is for the mature. And so here, Paul and the author of Hebrews seems to be admonishing them for needing milk. And then Peter is telling them to drink milk. So what's going on here? This little, it's not really a dichotomy. What's happening here is that Paul and the author of Hebrews is relating this in terms of development. You're not mature. You're not progressing. But Peter's showing them something entirely different. And the key to interpreting this is as newborn infants. That's your paradigm to understanding this milk. So it's, you're fully dependent. It's not a thing of maturity. Oh, you're not progressing. Peter's saying, no, be fully dependent. As a newborn child, longing. Longing for this milk. The baby needs Mama, baby, wants mama, loves mama, cannot survive without this milk. In the same way, if we have this spiritual life, we cannot survive without Christ. We are fully dependent upon Him. We are fully dependent on Him, and it, it sounds so simple, but it needs to be repeated, especially in this world when we have this edifice of stability around us. Your only stability is in Christ. Not your relationships, not your marriage, not your children. Your only stability is in Christ, in Christ alone, and you are fully dependent on Him. 
Same thing we see here with this, with this newborn inference is that they naturally do it. They naturally long for their mothers. And this is the goal of the new humanity. Is that we will by nature do the divine will. This is the whole goal of, of being born again. Is that we will naturally long as the baby does. And we will be fully dependent upon Christ as the baby is upon their mother. So as a, a newborn baby... What do we do? We, we long. We don't think about it. We don't... No, it's, it's, it's all they think about it. It consumes them. They strain after it. They desire it greatly is what it means. It's the same word that the psalmist was used in the Septuagint and Psalm 41. As the deer pants for the water to a flowing stream, so my soul longs for you, O God. Also, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. As newborn babies, we are to strain after Christ. Because nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else will sustain you but this pure spiritual milk. So perhaps I, I know what you're thinking. Good job, Jake. I've made it through a snowstorm and you've come, I've come here and you've told me to love Jesus more. Fantastic. <laughs> Maybe you'll even tell me to read my Bible more, pray more too, right? Yes, I will actually, but just wait. But when we think this, we're presuming two things. One, that I'm ready for this meat and potatoes. I'm past milk. I'm ready for this meat and potatoes, and this is the greatest of follies. The greatest of follies. You grow in your faith, but if you are a child of God, as you grow in your faith, you just see your greater dependence upon Him. Don't be in awe of yourself. I've actually heard a Christian say, when I read the Bible, I'm surprised at how much I know. Really? That's what you get out of it? But I think they just verbalize what's in so many of us. Even if you're not reading your Bible, you're saying the same thing. I don't need it. I don't need it to sustain me. So one, we presume we're ready for meat and potatoes. Chances are we're not. And number two, we presume that complexity is more profound than simplicity. Especially in this church where we love doctrine. We want to go deep. And we should be moving to deeper depths of, of theology. And that is... Certainly true, but we cannot be an academic exercise, guys. Do not fall prey to this, as I did. My driest spiritual time in my life was in seminary. Why? I just wanted to go deep for the sake of going deep instead of delighting in the living God. And so when we presume the complexity is greater than the simplicity, but like in music, 
The complexity of the music, the beauty of the music, it's just a reiteration of this simple melody. They give it to you, and they dance around it. But it's the same melody. Same thing with Christian theology. You can go from Abraham leaving Lot, rescuing Lot, seeing Melchizedek, Psalm 110, and, and the ascension of Christ and the, and the eternal priesthood of, of Jesus Christ. And you can follow that thread and you'll be blown away at how complex it is. But that's just a reiteration of this simple melody of God so loved the world. Same thing. When it's complex, when it's simple. Don't presume that the complexity is more profound than simplicity. So when you do go deep, as we should, bring it to, have it bring you to a deeper place of your, your adoration for Jesus Christ than raising your, your pride to new heights. So then how do we do this? Quickly, we'll wrap it up here. We read the Bible, we pray, and we worship. Yep, that's what you came for. Read the Bible. We, we're often told, read the Bible because you should. Read the Bible because you should. But, but no, rather, read the Bible as a newborn child longing for this pure spiritual milk. And you're going, God, I cannot, I can't make it through my day. I can't even make it through my morning apart from you, dear God. Could you sustain me? I don't want to fall prey to everything around me. God, could you sustain me? I must commune with you in your word. We, we don't pray then just because that's what spiritual people do. I see them doing it. They seem spiritual. I should do it. But no, we, we cry out to God. And He hears us. We cast all of our burdens, our anxieties on Him and He cares for us. And then we worship. Not because it's a great spiritual experience, but no, we are rejoicing in all that He has done for us and crying out to Him as a newborn cries out to their Father. God, Father, I need You. I need You. That's the very things babies are speaking. That should be us. Before God. Okay. So first, pour out the evil. Don't be concerned about the world. Be concerned about the sin in our own hearts and put it away from you. All of it. And drink up the good. As newborn children, we are going to long, long for this pure, pure spiritual milk. Because we know we are born of a new nature and we are fully dependent on Christ. And now we're going to see briefly this, this end result, this growth, given with a little bit of warning. So let's, let's reread the verses here. So put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
And all of this, this longing for Christ, putting everything away, this will bring you to grow. See, the the baby isn't concerned about growth. The baby just wants to eat. That's all the baby wants. It just wants to eat. It has this insatiable desire for it. And it can never have enough. And I hope that is you before God. That you can never have enough. And this is why Peter isn't starting with 40 things they can do over 40 days to be a new them. No. Hey, don't be blinded by sin. Okay. That's obvious. Long, he's telling them. Long. This is the main imperative. To long. Long for this pure spiritual milk. So don't don't worry about other things. Just concern yourself with drinking of the living God and this growth that you long for will naturally come. So if you're spiritually dry, come and drink. Drink of the living God. Come to Christ. And if you want to grow in your maturity, act like an infant. But Peter isn't naive with them. Neither am I. And he knows that as people are reading this, and perhaps they haven't tasted that the Lord was good, and they had not been born again, and they have not been born of Christ, and they haven't eaten of this tree of life, and they have not longed for this pure spiritual milk. And because of this, they, they never grow, and they become frustrated in their spiritual walk. So I implore you, Friends, come to Christ. Long for this pure spiritual milk. Come to Him. Set aside everything else and place all of your hopes and your affections and your desires on Christ and Christ alone, for He alone can satisfy. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would purify our church, Your church. That we would put aside all of these things and that we would long for Your Son and to gaze into His beauty. Dear God, I pray that You would bless our time of worship, that You would carry us along and give us this pure milk. Amen.